Hello, and welcome to the Fresh Air Sci-Fi Show. I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And it feels like it's been forever since we last streamed. <laughs> it was only last Thursday, though. We need to have more of these conversations, Dave. I wish we had the time. Hi, it's been a very long weekend, though. Yeah, did you get up to much? Uh, no, catching up on films and some reading. There. Uh, ours was largely gardening and barbecues, uh, taking advantage of the nice weather whilst it lasts, because it's supposed to go tomorrow, isn't it? Not here. Oh, really? Ah, oh, well, you're lucky. <laughs> Although saying that, it's supposed it... to be raining right now, and it's still really sunny, so who knows? Yeah, as you can see, it's still really sunny here, coming in through the window. Yeah, you can sit there as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Wales. It's supposed to be the other way around. You're supposed to be sunny, and we're supposed to be rainy. Oh, I just thought it was England, and it's just supposed to be rainy and overcast everywhere. <laughs> as yeah, in, true. In Great Britain, the UK, all of it. All of these islands. <laughs> but usually it's the other way around. If it's sunny in England, it's rainy in Wales. And it just shows how topsy-turvy the world has become. Yeah, definitely. There are no more objective <laughs> facts ever. <laughs> so are you trying to say all facts are subjective now, Dave? I mean, where does that put us? <laughs> well, all facts come through our mind, so therefore all facts are subjective. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the uh, weaker uh, arguments for subjectivity, isn't it? People often say that, you know, if something is processed by a mind or comes from a mind, then it's subjective. But I mean, pretty much everything we've ever learned uh, has been processed by a mind. So that means absolutely everything is subjective. And I agree with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Opie's in the chat. So hello, Opie. And hello, Leon. Um, and it's Opie's discussion. It made me think of that one. Oh, really? Oh, fair. Uh, well, hello, Opie, Leon, and everyone else who's out there. I can see there's a, a few of you watching. Do you know what I've noticed, though? The the viewers uh, on, on the stream, it shows like the Twitch and the YouTube, but it doesn't show everyone on YouTube who's watching. It doesn't show any of the people who are on Facebook, and it started not bringing the messages in from Facebook either. And it doesn't show oh, okay. any of uh, the, the Twitter ones, although I have a different thing that shows me who's watching on Twitter. So hello, anyone watching on Twitter as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's uh, what sort of brings us on to tonight's conversation, really, doesn't it, Dave? Sort of. So... Uh, Tonight's conversation is about moral realism, but what is that? <laughs> okay, well, it's a popular discussion in the atheist community to argue that morality isn't objective, um, and all things are subject, all morality is subjective, etc., etc. But a lot of the arguments for subjectivity aren't particularly strong for most people. And most people misunderstand what it means for objectivity in kind of morality. So what we're going to be discussing today is moral realism, which is how it's discussed within philosophy itself. It's not called objective morality as such. It's called moral realism. In other words, are moral claims pick out moral truths in the universe? Right. So... Uh... Should we just go with a, a basic definition of uh, subjective and objective to start us off? So when we use these terms, uh, maybe even throw in relative as well, because I'm sure it will come up. Um, so if you could just take those away for us, Dave. Okay. When discussing moral realism, um, what it means is that the truth aptness to 
a moral claim or a moral statement is attitude independent. In other words, it, it doesn't depend on the actual belief or feeling or attitude of the person making the claim. Whether they feel that stealing is okay, it would be irrelevant to whether stealing is okay if moral realism is the case. With moral subjectivity, it's a little more complicated in that you could be arguing that moral claims aren't truth apt, so they're just expressions of emotions or something like that. Or moral subjectivism could refer to the truth of the moral claim being dependent on the attitude of the agent making the claim. Right. Okay. So, I mean, we, we've we've actually discussed moral subjectivism in that in that way before. Um, yeah. Like you you mentioned emotivism there. You're saying that there is no truth aptness. Uh, like when we had a discussion on moral particularism as well. Um, yeah. There wasn't anything that was actually true. It was all just thoughts and feelings on what they they think Intuition. is right and wrong and all of that. Yeah. Whereas if you're talking about subjectivism, as in like moral subjectivism, um, the truth maker is is the personal opinion. So if I decided that it was moral for me to punch you in the head, it it would be moral for me to punch you in the head. Yeah. And if you were to say, well, I don't believe it's moral. For you to punch me in the head you're all you're doing really is saying well it would be immoral for me to get you to punch me in the head because that's <laughs> that's the truth bearer is so if the other individual thinks it is moral if the truth bearer is them then it is moral for them to punch you in the face or punch yeah. you in the head. so i mean by that notion it, it the way it's discussed in philosophy they're not using that definition of subjective which is processed by the mind or dependent on an agent in that in that sense um it's talking about the opinion of the agent or in some cases the emotions and intuitions of an agent yeah basically and of uh, course there is another type of moral subjectivism which is that it there is no truth at or there are no truths when it comes to moral statements. They're just expressions of opinion or feeling or, you know, we're making an error when we say that a statement like stealing is immoral. We're making an error in that statement because there is, it's put across like a proposition, but it's not. There is no true or false to it. But error theory. Yeah. Ah, cool. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> these things take ages i i've been studying for years and i barely know anything <laughs> it sounds like you're becoming a real philosopher then dave <laughs> okay i'll go then Ooh, hang on hang on what, what are you getting out <laughs> okay <laughs> i thought you were going to take something else <laughs> that on yeah uh awesome <laughs> so um leon uh, has just said uh, you need to go over the distinction between subjectivism and relativism as they are often conflated we were coming to that um essentially uh, relativism is subjectivism on a cultural level if you will um so it's saying that the culture decides what is moral so if there is something say in america that is largely considered moral then even if say in france it's considered immoral 
that doesn't matter. The culture decides what is moral for that culture. But that does mean that if there is a culture that thinks it is uh, moral to kill atheists and homosexuals, that means it is moral for them to do so. So if morality is relative, then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you could argue that um, moral subjective... Oh, stackers. <laughs> we, needed, we needed a technical fault. Uh, I don't know if we'd fully call that a technical fault, but it's... Uh... <laughs> It's a physical fault. It was going so well. <laughs> physical error, hardware error. Um, yeah, you could argue that moral subjectivism in that the truth bearer is the individual is a kind of relativity because the moral truth is relative to the thing. But generally, when somebody says moral relativism, they're speaking of a cultural relativism. Yeah, I think even if you look it up on uh, SEP and if you're trying to find moral subjectivism, it takes you straight to moral relativism. And it talks yeah. about both, you know, the personal subjectivism and the cultural. Cultural. So, yeah, that could be why they are often conflated, though, because, uh, you know, as Dave says, it is a kind of relativism. It's just individual rather than cultural. Yeah. And I mean, you could also argue, you know, um, the cultural relativism includes time and not just place, but time and place. So if cultural relativism is the case, then it was moral to own slaves in America in the 1700s or 1800s, but it's not moral now. Yeah, of course, so if you go that route, you can't make a statement like it was never okay to own slaves because, well, there was a time when it was okay to own slaves. So in that regard, I mean, if you're looking be, back at history sorry. and you, you actually judge things, I mean, <laughs> think about the Second World War uh, or any war, <laughs> you know, and things like that, uh, where where the culture thought that they were doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. If, if relativism I mean, is true. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, it was immoral to fight. It would be it would have been immoral to fight against slavery because the common moral was that slavery was moral. So you arguing that they were immoral, well, it's you being immoral because you're arguing against the morals of the society, so to speak. And I think... It's all a mess. Well, it, it does become a mess if you think it is relative because people do then contradict themselves and go, well, no, that was wrong. And so, well, it sounds like you're saying that there is, you know, a truth maker above that culture and time one that's not attitude dependent yeah it's not dependent on the personal opinion or what have you like um a mistake you hear a lot of atheists say is like it's immoral to kill atheists in saudi arabia and they'll also argue that all morals are based on personal opinion okay if that is the case when you say it is immoral to kill atheists in Saudi Arabia. All you're really saying is, I would prefer that you didn't do this thing because I find this thing to be boo. It, it, in sort of a or subjectivist approach, that kind of thing would be, I think it's called a ah and boo or yay and boo theory, where all when you make a moral expression, all you're really doing is saying yay or boo to some kind of particular action. Yeah, essentially speaking of a, a, a preference in a way towards it. 
like like yeah uh, you, you like a music track or you dislike a music track or same yeah. sort of thing um yeah uh, so if you're saying that it is wrong um yeah like opie says it's ayers is an emotivist response uh approach um if you're saying that it is subjective and you're saying that it's always wrong in Saudi Arabia, then you have a conflict of the actual kind of thing that you're trying to put across. Because mm. if it was always wrong, no matter who did it, then there must be some kind of truth maker that is attitude independent. I suppose this also comes down into the the, the split that I know we've talked about before, but it's probably worth addressing again, is the difference between discussing morality in a descriptive way and a normative way. Yeah. Um, I mean, th there is this idea that when we discuss moral facts, or we, we are either describing some kind of fact about the world. Um, so they are descriptivist approaches. Um, but you can also argue that there is a normative realm to morality. So we're not just describing something as bad. We're saying that you ought not to do this thing. So an emotivist response would be purely descriptive. Um, and even a utilitarian could be considered sort of descriptive because all you're doing is saying it's bad because it didn't bring the thing. But there is also the normative element to utilitarianism or virtue ethics um, or deontological approaches where they say that ethics should shape how you behave. It's not just a judgment. It's a way of describing how you ought to behave. And of course, you could bring in Hume's is-ought distinction here and say there's no way to get an ought. There's no way to get a normative statement from a description of some kind of state of affairs, like you're in pain, therefore somebody ought not to cause you pain or you ought not to cause other people pain. There's like a... A breakdown in reason between the two statements. Yeah, I, I mean, without going too deep into it, I've I, I've thought about the Azor problem a couple of times and put it into the the article. Um, does morality have a purpose? So I, I won't go too deep into it here, but I think there are ways you can do it. There's a comment that's just come in um, from Proce Professor Griff. That's Alan, isn't it? Uh, saying moral relativism arises from a consensus of subjectivism and changes in individual subjectivism will then cause changes to relative consensus. And you could be right, but then you're still saying that you can't look back at a time and say, well, this was wrong because it's saying it was right at the time, that there is no real truth maker above personal opinion. But something that is subjective can even become objective if you think about something that has has been made um like a hammer someone once decided that they were first going to make a hammer to try and you know they were looking for ways to bang in nails they subjectively decided that this is what i'm gonna do and it's now become an objective standard over time for how to bang in a nail now someone might have a subjective purpose of caving in someone's skull with it but this subjective thing has become objective. And I think you can say the same sort of thing about morality. In the pre-morality state, I do think it was in a very emotivist sort of way. And that's how we started learning a little bit about morality. But as we've refined the concept over the years and learned a bit more about it, we sort of discover it in the same way that we discover logic and maths and things like that. We sort of understand a bit more about its purpose and what we 
ought to do, not just how it might work in practice. Um, I think another problem with that sort of approach is that it puts morality always as a bottom-up sort of idea. So it always starts on the ground and always gets up to the top. But if you think about past times where the church was in charge and it was the church that, you know, doled out the morality and used the Bible to say what was moral, it wasn't built from the ground up. It was top down. So it went cultural. It didn't go cultural to uh, subjective to cultural. It went cultural to subjective. And they enforced those cultural values on the people as the the church sort of overtook certain areas. Well, the church was the meeting place. It's where everybody shared stories. It's where everybody learned how they ought to behave. And those religious moralities were enforced within the communities by other believers and, and that kind of thing. So it would be a mistake to think that morality always went bottom up because it can be argued that it also goes top down. Yeah. Uh, and as you said, I mean, if it is purely subjective and if it is, uh, or, or even from a relativistic point of view, there's still no way you can judge another culture or anything like that. Because, again, you're, you're saying you're, you're almost giving an emotivist response to another culture rather than actually saying it, it is wrong. Um, you're just saying, well, they like it. I don't like it, yeah. Uh, and essentially, you'd have to concede that it, it, you know, if there was a grotesque act that a culture did, then, you know, it's moral for them to do it, even if it is the worst act that you can ever think of, you know, raping and torturing babies or something like that. If you think morality is subjective or relative, then if there is a culture or a person <laughs> that thinks that this is moral, I don't know how they would, but if they did, <laughs> right? if they did, then you would have to concede that it's moral for them to do. And I don't think anyone do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we should probably get on to the actual ideas of moral realism as well, because as we've seen, that there are these different approaches and um, subjective and culturally relative can cause problems when it comes to arguments about who is right and who is wrong, whose behavior is right, whose behavior is wrong. And we often see people treat morality as if they are making statements of truth. Mm. So we hear atheists, other atheists say things like, Iran is bad and immoral because it forces women to wear hijabs. And when they don't, they punish them. So if you're making a statement like that and you're saying not just that you don't like it or that you find it appalling or what have you, um, then you are arguing that there is some kind of truth to that statement. So this would be called the semantic dimension. So it's we're discussing whether or not the moral language that we use actually has some kind of truthfulness to it. Right. Which, which would be considered the first dimension. So if if you think that there is a truth to a statement like raping and torturing babies for fun, which is a popular one to use because it's the kind of one that gets everybody. Going, or Ugh. when you, yeah, it does. It, but that one will get like an emotivist or, you know, uh, an error theorist. They, they might say, well, it's not true that it's bad, but 
you know, in, in the whole nature of things, yeah, we should, this is something we shouldn't be doing. Most people can agree on that. Um, so if you think that moral statements, moral claims have a truthfulness to them, then you're not arguing for the kind of subjective approach that many atheists seem to be arguing for, that, you know, it's all just personal opinion. Mm. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I say, that would be the semantic dimension. Um, so there's a, a, a couple of approaches here. I mean, you could say that you're describing, uh, hang on a second. Yeah. You're, you're either describing something that is an actual fact or you're describing something normative within it. So what then becomes the truth bearer are these things outside of the attitude of the person that making them. So where the question then becomes, where can we find these truth bearers or truth makers? Yeah, where? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, well, that's the big question, isn't it? Where do they come from? I mean, most atheists will argue that um, killing an atheist in Saudi Arabia simply for leaving Islam or being an atheist is wrong. So when they make a statement like that, many of them are, they're not just expressing an opinion, they're stating it as though it is a fact. So the question then would become what makes that a fact? Yeah, I, I tend to think personally that if if we with things like logic and maths, they're things that we we have discovered, but it doesn't mean that they they weren't true. Like you think about you know uh, a equals a just as an example, or, or in base ten math, one plus one is is two, regardless of what language or or number you put on it. These things are true regardless of whether we agree with them or not. Now I think about morality in the same way i just don't think that we have enough knowledge necessarily to always have that right answer and know that this is a fact in the same way that we can because because maths and logic are are easier than morality is <laughs> yeah and i mean somebody like an expressivist or a motivist here could take the non-cognitive approach in other words these things aren't things that we think about as facts. There is no epistemic kind of relation between our thoughts and the world outside of us. Um, but the cognitivist could argue that, yes, you know, that there is some relation. So these relations can come about because of certain ontological facts about the world. Um, so I, I know one of your, one of your favorites is human flourishing. Mm -hmm. So they would say that this, it is just an, a part of the moral ontology of the universe that human flourishing is good. So therefore, our claims are truth tracked by human flourishing, so to speak. And I, th I think that's Sam Harris's, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't even necessarily say that uh, human flourishing is necessarily good in itself. I'd just say that it, it ties into what the the purpose of morality is in the same way if if i had a purpose of driving to scotland uh, i could find the fastest route and the most scenic route and uh, the best times to go and and all of that 
it's not necessarily good that I'm going to Scotland, but I can find the best way to get to Scotland, say, if I, I want to get there in the shortest time. And I think with with something like morality, you've got the, the, the sort of flourishing, uh, overall well-being, collaborative and cohesive societies, all these sorts of things that feed into it. And I think that not only can we draw objective statements from this, I think that this is actually in, you know, part of morality as a whole, uh, much in the way that we can say, you know, A equals A within in, in logic. Okay. Um... So yeah, that that those would be sort of ontological elements of morality in that case. So when you make a statement like um, "it is good to do X," that means that you're basically saying that X belongs to the things that are included in the set of what makes humans flourish, um, and collapses into a sort of natural ethic. So a sort of natural virtue ethics, you'd say. Yeah. I think, like with the the example of the hammer that I gave before, you know, even if it was just originally this this thing that someone thought of once, I think we realise that this thing is there. Um, but I, I do think it's a bit different with something like morality, like you described. Um, Actually, Gary Edwards is one to check out on uh, naturalized virtue ethics. He's got a, a good playlist. It's a seven-part mini-series of five-minute videos. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, definitely spoke to me. Well, one way you could describe, you could argue this then is when you say that um, human flourishing is just what morality is, or it's the goal of morality you're you're not describing a sort of ontology in the universe um you're describing a sort of practical reason for morality so you're not making a descriptive statement in the sense that some people might think morality is making a descriptive statement you're arguing for a practicality for it so it's not ontological and this oh we've lost you dave oh god i can't remember his... oh, can you hear me yeah you're back can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is something that somebody like Hillary Putnam might argue, that we're not talking about objective in the sense of describing some kind of ontological realm. We're talking about objective as in we have practical reasons to behave this way, and it would be rational to follow these practical reasons. And if we have reasons to behave in a particular way, then we ought to behave in that particular way because that's what being rational is. Think of it sort of, you've run out of milk and you want a cup of tea and you can't drink tea without milk. Now, it would be irrational for you not to, have the, not to want to go out and get milk. If, if you were saying, I need milk, and you decided, well, the best way to get milk is to sit on the floor and do nothing and hope that somebody brings me a milk, we would argue that you're not being particularly rational here. You're not mm -hmm. using reason to get to your goal. So this is kind of an analogy for what somebody like Putnam might argue, that if we have morality and the goal of morality is human flourishing, human well-being, then we can use practical reason to get to those things, and we can work out objectively the best ways to get to those things. Yeah, I suppose then it's, 
I really need to think of is is the the flourishing well-being collaborative and cohesive societies actually just part of the fabric of the universe that brings morality forward or is it more like the hammer that has the practical use and uh yeah i'm not sure yeah I mean, <laughs> let, let's take your hammer example you can separate the two different things here um the hammer itself is a concept Mm-hmm. It was designed conceptually. It was created conceptually. Manny's just made me feel re- revulsion by saying, "Just use water for the tea." It depends black on the tea. type of tea you're drinking. But actually, I I used to uh, like black tea after raving. I don't know why. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Weirdo. <laughs> tea has sugar and milk. Oh no. no. Sugar. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> but yeah. Um, if we think about the hammer as conceptual, um, and the person who conceived of it had an idea that he wanted to make it easier to bang nails, and so he created the hammer. The hammer now exists as a property in the universe, um, but it's not a, a natural property. It's something that we've conceived of and created. So when we use the term hammer, we might describe a particular object that has, it takes many forms. Um, but generally it's created to achieve a particular thing. So when we describe morality, we might be talking about it in the same way. Um, the hammer is objectively good for banging nails into the wall. Mm -hmm. And morality might be objectively useful to get us to human flourishing or the greatest amount of happiness. Um, but of course, then there are other things like, do we have certain obligations to other people? Do we have certain duties to other people? Because all that can be considered part of morality as well. And, and I would say I think it, it it is, but I think the these these duties um, do relate back to that purpose. Yeah, and it, that there are those that would argue something similar, um, and it, it's sort of the approach I take when it comes to morality is that. We're not describing some magical particle in the universe. We're not describing some magical property. We're describing something that's kind of like a tool. Um, like you said, it helps with cohesive societies. It helps us to flourish. It helps to make a safer environment, a happier environment. It helps us to create a more orderly environment without the need for authoritative kind of behaviors yeah i mean we've considered it before if everybody was taught virtue ethics uh, uh, from a young age much in the way they're they're taught that please thank you and hold open a door if actual virtue ethics were installed from a young age i mean wouldn't we be in a much better society uh <laughs> the entire world would be so much better yeah um so much in the same way that we can talk about a hammer objectively we can talk about um, morality objectively in that kind of way without the need for ontology. But then we're brought back to this problem. Well, the purpose of morality in Saudi Arabia is to follow Allah, is to follow the Quran, is to do what the Quran tells us to do. So that. And the same with Christian defining... morality as well. You know, it's yeah. follow the Bible and so on and so forth. Yeah, is there, is there, uh, a purpose that is a purpose above the other purposes. So is there, a, I guess, a normative purpose rather than a descriptive purpose? 
yeah, that's it. Um, and the only way, if there is no ontological realm for morality, um, there is no way to say, well, this just is morality. Yeah, that's fair. But how do you get to the ontological realm of morality? <laughs> well, that, that's, a, that's a different question. Um, <laughs> I mean, one could argue that when we make a promise to somebody, we are obligated to keep that promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what promises are. Just That's just what they are. It is a sort of contract that you will fulfill when the time comes. Yeah, I'd say you don't even need to say the words, I promise. There are certain implicit promises, certain things that you say to people, I'll do that for you, sort of thing, with with, said with all meaning. It's that obligation. obligation. Yeah. And there are those that would argue that entering into this obligation creates a kind of ontology that the morality maps to. So by not fulfilling this obligation, you have broken an objective duty. Right. But of course, that would, again, be conceptual because it's conceptual that this thing, this obligation has created or this duty, this promise has created this obligation and created this ontology in the universe. And of course, if you don't believe that promises create this obligation, then have you actually broken that? Yeah. (laughs) Could a, could a, could a... An emotivist, I mean, it's slightly going off piece again, could a emotivist actually say an excuse for breaking a promise where I didn't feel like fulfilling it? Well, an emotivist wouldn't, there would be no objective element to that. There would mm. be no objective duty that created by making this promise. So, yes, no, no I, I agree. There'd yeah, be, be no objective duty like, in the first yeah. place, but would they, would that be sort of the, the, the justification for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could it be as simple yeah, as yeah, that? Yeah, you could do, of course. Yeah, yeah, for an emotivist, it could be. And even for a subjectivist, um, in the sense that um, if the truth bearer is their attitude towards whatever it, the moral claim, then them saying, well, I didn't have a moral duty to you. So therefore, you know, it, me not fulfilling it doesn't really matter. I'm still moral because I, I believe it's moral to break promises. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, a question from uh, Steen saying, aren't we obligated to keep a promise based on the expectation that we want others to keep theirs and that creates a benefit that is self-realizing? Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's sort of what creates the ontology of the thing, that it creates this kind of self-fulfilling goal, self-fulfilling purpose for morality, which creates human flourishing, creates a better society, creates order. And one could even say that it's even if we're greedy, yeah, fulfilling that promise would be better for us than not fulfilling it because it enables us to get more and more and more. Uh, So a question from Alan as well. Morality or or a statement, maybe uh, morality is assigning value to behaviors and then categorize them. But the metric for such evaluation and categorization is not objective or universal, but subjective and relative. I think, Alan, we're going to have to come back to uh, how are you using subjective and relative here? Um, I think we've shown a few ways that you can talk about it that, it you know, that doesn't necessarily always hold up. Do you have anything to add to that, though, Dave? Okay. Yeah. 
one thing I will say to this is that if we're going by that, then we're saying that value can only come about from what we value. So if I value killing homosexuals, then killing homosexuals has value to me. So um, you were describing, <clears throat> sorry, that would be a sort of descriptive thing. Um, so we're just describing this value that comes about because I bring about this value. But if we're discussing morality in a sort of normative objective sense, then you, you're valuing it, you're valuing killing homosexuals makes no difference because it's not based on that. It's not based on your attitude towards some certain behavior. It's based on whether the outcome is in line with this standard of morality that is discussed based on these normative elements that bring about these um, outcomes through practical reasons. <sighs> I mean, how do, how do we go about, I mean, like really go about discovering the purpose of morality, much in the way that we, we discovered the rules of logic and how we discovered maths and how both of these things are objective. You know, they've been thought of and processed by a mind, but they are objective things. And I think morality is the same sort of thing. And I just don't, I think that we're not quite as clear on it as, as a species um, to, to have simple equations that just say, aha, yeah, which is why there's so many different thoughts on it. But different thoughts on the thing doesn't mean uh, that it's it's um, a subjective. It just means that we haven't actually found the answer. It, it's sort of like the, someone trying to do maths in, I don't know, base six and base 10, and they're, they're talking past each other because they're, they're not coming up with the same answers, but they're just using different maths. And maybe, maybe even actually they're both right, but you're just right for different environments. And morality could be the same sort of thing that actually uh, there's still this objective standard, but this objective standard could be different, different situations. Um, okay. One way to look at this is that you could be making an error in how they're being categorized. So when we speak of mass and we speak of logic, we are speaking of something that is kind of descriptive. It describes some element of the world. It's They're conceptual, don't get me wrong, and they can have normative force um, because if you want to reason logically, you therefore must follow the laws of logic. But morality might not be the same as that. We might not be describing, when we say it's wrong to kill homosexuals, we might not be describing the world, a fact of the world. Um, because as many atheists like to argue, the universe doesn't really give a damn one way or the other. <laughs> and I would agree. Yeah. You know, if, if God didn't create the universe and the universe arose naturally, it seems unlikely that physical matter would bring about properties like goodness. What brings about properties like goodness are minds and how we think about things and concepts. So when we say something is bad, we are saying according to this conceptual structure that I reason by, this is bad. So um, let, me, let me think of an analogy. Okay. Imagine when you're playing a game um, and 
sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, so when somebody wins a game, we are saying that they played it according to these rules. And according to these rules, they are the winner. Mm-hmm. So we're not describing some fact of the universe we're describing some fact of a conceptual structure and by saying they are the winner we're not necessarily saying that they followed the rules because they won or they followed a particular set of rules because they won um we're saying they followed these particular rules like saying they won at football doesn't mean they won every single game in the world Mm -hmm. they're not the champions of everybody they're just the winner of the particular game which followed a particular set of rules. And it could be that morality is the same thing. So that when we talk about morality in a, a descriptive sense, we could be making a conceptual error, an epistemolo- uh, epistemological error as well, because we're reasoning to the wrong thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> so, uh, uh, Alan's come back. You, you, you're saying the 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 definition of subjective we've already said doesn't work for when discussing morality uh, existing in the mind, um, belonging to a thinking subject. I mean, the, these are not definitions that you use when discussing morality. It makes no sense. Pretty much everything we've ever learned has been processed by a mind. All of our knowledge by that account it is is subjective what you're talking about when you're talking about morality in the objective and subjective sense um objective you're talking about you know above but personal opinion uh, or based on facts so it means that that my personal opinion on something wouldn't change it being wrong right so if i was to say well i don't think rape's that bad that wouldn't change how absolutely awful rape is, right? I would yeah. be wrong there, right? Um, whereas when you're talking about subjective, it's talking about your, uh, as Dave said earlier, there's a couple of different ways it can go. But generally, when you're speaking about subjective, you're talking about the personal opinion being the truth maker in that sense. So if I went, well, you know, torturing babies is perfectly moral, that would be moral for me to do so. That is what is meant by subjective moral. But Dave also drew uh, the the other way you can go with it. It's sort of into the emotivist uh side where they're saying there is no actual truth statement made it's just uh feelings and intuitions so it's it's there is no truth to it whatsoever it's uh almost moral nihilism in a way it sort of is except um a moral nihilist would argue that there's no such thing as morality whereas a non-cognitivist taking the emotivist approach might argue that there is such a thing as morality, but morality is just a reaction to things that we either like or dislike. So, I mean, does, I mean, does that answer, you know, your your your, your statements there on objective and subjective, um, Alan? Well, because... I mean, Alan, he's got something here where he's put influenced by personal feelings, interpretations, or prejudice, which not based on facts, bias, which is the definition yes. that is generally used. It not attitude dependent for the truth maker like philip says truth maker placement is the key when it comes to whether morality is objective or subjective um so if we go back to the game example i just gave um you could say that the winner of monopoly isn't based on some actual fact of the universe um 
it's based on a conceptual fact. The ontology of the winner is brought about based on the conceptual framework of the game of Monopoly. Mm -hmm. um, so you could say, yes, it's not a fact in the same way that gravity is a fact. Yeah. It's a fact based on the framework that was used to get to that outcome. Mm -hmm. Now, you saying, well, I don't think you actually won because I don't like you. That would, and if that was true, if we were to say the winner is subjective, then that's what would make the winner. Well, I don't think you're the winner, so therefore you're not the winner. <laughs> but in the game of Monopoly, you have this framework that determines the winner. So your opinion of who is the winner makes absolutely no difference. And that's basically what we're talking about when we're talking about moral realism and moral anti-realism. Yeah. <laughs> is there a framework where <laughs> there is this actual truth maker or is there no truth maker? Yeah. And one of the problems here, of course, for the realist is what makes that particular framework the framework. Mm -hmm. So you could still argue that you have been moral according to this objective framework. Sorry, I shouldn't have eaten just before coming online. <laughs> um, you could say, well, yes, it's objective according to this framework, but that doesn't make it objective in the sense of everybody is obligated to perform according to this framework. Mm which I think is what a lot of atheists are looking for. When they hear the term objective, they think, well, this means that everybody is bound by this framework. There, there is some universal aspect to this framework and some absolute aspect to this framework. Yeah. But that might not necessarily be what we're talking about when we're talking about moral <laughs> realism um, or objective monopoly. <laughs> sorry, Tyler uh, just made me laugh. Morality. <laughs> yeah, Tyler just made me yeah, laugh. Sorry, I'm I'm... distracted. Joe's sitting there like, oh crap, that's why I always lose at Monopoly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Philip says, if all people agree with the framework, would it be considered objective? Yes. Um, because if you entered into that framework saying, this is the framework that I agree to operate by, then you suddenly saying, well, I know I operated by this framework, but I don't believe I'm guilty or I don't believe I've behaved immoral. Well, it doesn't really matter because according to that framework that you've agreed is universal and objective, you are behaving immorally or morally. So would the framework be objective or his next question, would the judgments according to that framework be considered objective? It's the judgments according to that framework. So the framework, in that sense, would I'd say would be a relative if the uh, framework. It's, it sounds like a, a cultural framework in, in, in that regard. But to the culture, it's objective to everyone in this particular agreed sort of standard. Um, I think, though, back to one of the things that you said about universal, it's one of the things that I definitely notice. People hear objective and they think, universal and absolute and they don't understand that sometimes objective doesn't even necessarily mean correct uh it it just means above personal opinion um and it, it, if you think about uh science in a way um 
if you've got your hypothesis and let's just say the hypothesis is, is something that's uh, kind of uh, objective and you're working on it and you do, you build your tests and you test for this sort of thing and then you've got your your theory which is what you hope is a correct objective standard of your your original objective and over time something might pop up there's a new piece of evidence and you go oh crap it does you know it doesn't work the, the entire theory doesn't work it it doesn't necessarily mean that the theory was completely wrong just that it was incomplete and might have to be modified to be correct and with more evidence that you you know you you're moving towards this correct objective standard and i think the way the way i think about morality is we're sort of there that i i think descriptively i agree with the way the world works it is a combination of of uh, subjective relative and um uh objective values and moral judgments but you know normatively i do think that it that it is objective but i don't think we've necessarily got there to a correct objective standard yeah and that that's the thing if morality isn't describing some inherent property in the universe then all we have are these conceptual understandings of what morality is or morality should be and i mean morality has come about because of a desire to place value and labels and things like that on other humans behavior um and i mean we've now started describing in the past we wouldn't have described animals in terms of morality um so we do now kind of we might yeah. say well that monkey is being moral you know it, it saved another monkey but if you look at how morality can be defined it like um take virtue ethics for example it's a disposition based on thinking about how we ought to behave um so we wouldn't call them moral by the standards of virtue ethics no. but as we progress in our understanding of morality um we start to look at it in a different way and it's still according to this conceptual framework because we're not describing any real fact no physical fact about the mm. universe we're describing the phenomenological fact in the same way that we describe the experience of red yeah the experience of red isn't a fact a physical fact as such it's a mental fact and a phenomenological fact does that make sense I'm just going morality is red. Morality is red. Red rum. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, if we think about it in terms of something like law, yeah, mm. the laws of a country, those would be considered if we replace the term moral with law, we would consider them to be culturally relative because the truth maker comes from the culture and not the subject mm -hmm. so even if a subject says well i wasn't speeding i don't think the law i don't think the speed limit should be 60 on that road i think it should be 130 yeah or i don't agree it wouldn't really matter bad yeah thing. yeah but most people wouldn't say that the law is subjective they would argue that it is objective because the truth maker comes from within that conceptual framework well they might say not some fact uh... about the universe no i agree they might say that it's uh, intersubjectively agreed upon and becomes an objective standard for that culture, location. Okay, 
But one thing I would say about that is that who are the subjects that agreed that you have to obey the 60 mile an hour speed limit? It wasn't you. The government. No, it's the government. It's not a complete intersubjective. Yeah, so it's not an intersubjective agreement. It's an agreement that you are you just are born into it. You yeah, are contractually implicit... obliged by living in that country. Just by yeah. being born there. Like we were discussing on our um, political ethics um, season, season two of Fresh Air, if anyone is interested, we go into this stuff in quite some detail. Um... <laughs> so, I mean, w- with the case here, those who argue that morality is entirely subjective because it comes from mind, would they argue that the laws of a country are subjective because they come from a mind? Would they argue that they began as sort of personal opinions that became objective facts because that wouldn't really matter because it wasn't your personal opinion that made it a fact. In the same with intersubjective agreement, it's not that there was this big, huge gathering of everybody in the country who said, you know what, let's have 30 mile an hour speed limits in front of schools. This law was introduced and people went along with it. And their personal opinion doesn't make any difference to the conceptual framework if they're brought to court. So it could be that morality is something similar to that kind of conceptual framework. Uh, One one of the uh, other things I sometimes hear is someone says that when you are judging another culture, you're doing it purely based on your culture's values. And it's something I don't necessarily agree with as well, because I don't necessarily agree with all of my culture's values. Um, e- even as a young child, there were some things that, uh, I, uh, I say young child, <laughs> teenager, <laughs> you know, when I started thinking about this stuff in, in a bit more detail, that I looked back and went, well, you know, why? Why is this thing considered bad? Why is this thing considered wrong? Um, why is this thing illegal? Why is this thing considered immoral? Why isn't this thing illegal? Uh, why is this considered perfectly acceptable behavior and, and things that we say? Uh, now, someone could say that, yes, that's that's purely subjective on, on, on my part if they they really wanted to. But I don't think that it's a it's a particularly great argument to say that when you're judging another culture, you're doing it purely based on your culture's values. Um, because people, no, you could, uh, sorry, I was going to say, even within your own culture, you can say, I think this is wrong. There will be people in, uh, Muslim cultures, for example, where they disagree with the killing of atheists and homosexuals and things like that. Yeah. And an argument like that could lend weight to something like an emotivist thing, um, where what we understand about morality and what we understand about what mor- what we think morality should be influences our emotional responses to certain actions and certain things and certain understandings within our culture and we're repulsed or offended or something like that by those things um so it could be argued yes that's not a good argument for cultural relativism um and it might be an argument for how practical reason can give us an objective framework, but it could also be argued that you're not using this objective framework, you're just having an emotional response based on this framework that you have built up. Yeah, it all uh, becomes very complicated. Uh, uh, morality is delightfully complicated. It's one of the reasons I like yeah. uh, having the discussions on it and thinking about it and reading stuff on it and going away and you know filtering it all into my thoughts. 
Um, I, I also like the fact that it's something that I've never fully decided on as well. I don't think that I've got it yet. <laughs> uh, I definitely uh, haven't. Yeah. I mean, I, I lean a certain way, but I could be introduced to a whole new element tomorrow that could make me rethink everything. Um, another thing for moral realism yeah. um, or an argument in favor of morally, moral realism and the fact that we are making truthful statements is moral progress. Okay. So if we say that our morals have progressed since the 1700s when we thought slavery was okay, if our morals have progressed in England from the 80s when we punished homosexuals, they, will, they weren't allowed to teach, um, you know, that kind of thing. If we have made progress, then there must be some realist element to morality because otherwise we wouldn't say we've progressed because there is no progression to be had. There is just a different view. Yeah, definitely. And I, th I think actually... There's, there's in, in certain respects, there is a bit of a symbiotic relationship with science and morality in this regard, because especially psychology, because as we learn more about, uh, you know, the, the, the way someone's brain works, their emotions and things like that, there, there are facts about, say, the effects of abuse, uh, both short term and long term on the individual and everybody that loves them as well, their, their family, their community, and everything like that. So I think that we can say that there's actual facts that feed back into morality and can influence how we've done it. And as you say, it, it's progress. It's not just, oh, well, yeah, this feedback is, is a subjective opinion that we're pushing up culture it's not going that way it's actually giving us something to to actually work on and it, it would say to me that there is something about morality whether it is you know uh part of its ontology or if it is a a, a practical element that is the one like if we were to just lean on the hammer again the practical element of the hammer the the, the way that it ought to be used is banging in nails but someone can take that hammer and cave someone's head in, uh, or they could use it to smash open a, a window. And there's different uses for the hammer, and people might have different ideas about the hammer, but there is one way that we ought to be using the hammer. And I think maybe that we could say the same about morality, is the fact that, yeah, there's different ways that people use morality, but is there a way that we ought to be using morality and as you say as we're making progress and things are improving and we do look back and say well no that was wrong you know we don't say oh it was right at the time i mean some people do but in general we don't say oh yeah slavery was was perfectly fine at the time do we no we look back and say it was absolutely awful at least most people do <laughs> i mean like you say that yeah most people do there are people that would argue well yes it was moral back then it was just accepted and those people are being true to their moral relativity. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I've got respect for those kind of people. At least there's consistency. Yeah, exactly. They, they understand the framework they're working by, and they apply that framework to their outlook. Now, let's bring up something probably kind of relevant at the moment. If we think about Muhammad and Aisha, okay? Now... Many atheists today will argue that that was wrong, okay? 
Um, and some Muslims, some theists, might defend it by saying, well, it was acceptable at the time. Um, or that it was seen as perfectly God. normal. Yeah, but if we just go by the cultural element, mm -hmm. because you had Henry VIII with young wives, yep. most kings of France had young wives, so it was culturally acceptable. Um, and those same atheists who argue that morality is subjective, morality is relative, will argue that it was never okay for Muhammad to think. And they'll say, well, you know, um, Islam has an objective framework, so therefore it should always have been bad for... Well, there is nothing within the Islamic framework that states that this was wrong. So by what framework are they arguing that it's wrong? And that it was always wrong. They must be arguing from their own personal framework. But if they're arguing from a kind of cultural relativity and subjectivism, then what is their argument? <laughs> yes. They must be arguing from a kind of moral realism that there are truth statements to be made when saying that something is immoral, regardless of culture, that's attitude independent. Now... <laughs> On moral realism, are there ever any things that, um, I mean, does it allow for certain moral propositions to actually not be moral propositions, but there are some? Could it say that there are some moral facts and some just emotivist ones? Yeah. Um, moral realism isn't arguing that all moral statements and all moral claims are objective and attitude independent or, you know, preference independent or, you know, belief independent. It just argues that there are some moral facts that are independent of attitude, belief, value. It, they just are. So if you make a statement like, it is always wrong to torture and rape a baby for fun and leave it dumped at the side of the road, that might be a true statement regardless of time culture. But saying it's okay to slap your child might be time, place dependent, value dependent. I don't think so, you know, but it's not there's, arguing. There's been that plenty all... of studies that have shown that it's not. So it's not conducive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so... damn it, do you want to sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> Even other people's. <laughs> yeah. But. You know, that's the thing. Moral realism isn't claiming that all moral claims are absolutely true or have a true fatness to them. Sometimes we might be making an error theory when, you know, we might be falling into error theory. When we make a moral claim, it might not have some truthful element to it because it doesn't follow this um, reason-guided structure that we use or that we ought to use. I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just going through some of the chat because um, I didn't get a chance while talking because, you know me, I'd get lost in thought. Yeah, I did try and keep up with it, but there's probably a few comments that I've missed. Um, okay, just going back to Phillips. Um, if all people agreed with the framework, would it be considered objective or would judgments according to the framework be considered objective? It would be the judgments according to the framework. Um, and he's made a comment, it's still mind-dependent, but it's distributed. And that, that's a good point, because many people argue that something that's subjective is mind-dependent. But like Philip said earlier, 
the truth maker is the key. The truth maker, maker here for whether it's subjective or objective isn't that it's mind dependent, it's that it's attitude independent. Yeah. Um, Alan says, what is the framework for morality? It seems there are many and they can even overlap or contradict. I don't need absolute, only objective apart from a subjective goal or framework. Okay, so it might be at best we can have epistemic access to what morality is. In other words, we can under, we can learn and come to know what morality is through a conceptual framework. So if morality just is this, if we just call it M, if morality is just M, you disagreeing with morality being M wouldn't necessarily make it subjective. It could just be that you're wrong. <laughs> because you misunderstand the concept of morality. Like if you think it's not illegal to create child porn, that's not you saying the law is a subjective goal or, you know, that it might be the law in one country and the law in another. And so therefore the law in this other country is just wrong. It's just you not understanding the concept of law like I say, the concept of morality. So even if there is overlapping ones, it could just be that some of these others are wrong in how they approach morality. Morality might not be ontological. It might be epistemic. Um, they might not be descriptive of facts. We sh we, it might be that we should be approaching it in the sense of practical reason um, or goals or things like that. And there might be still a, lot a goal. There might be like a set a set of goals or anything that is the right set that we just don't know is the right set yet. Yeah, exactly. It, it might just be that we don't understand enough or there are so many conflicting opinions that we just, and there there is nothing physical to map it to. So therefore, it's not like this is gravity. It's more like this is monopoly. You know, we have, or this is football. Americans might say, well, that's not football. This is football. <laughs> Australians might go, well, neither of you are right. That's not football. This is football. <laughs> the concept, is, it isn't that the concept is mapped to something. It's that what's mapped is the concept. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, another way to think about it, um, using the hammer again. God, if I had a hammer. Um, it, if we could toss a hammer back in time to a group of people where nails hadn't even been invented yet right <laughs> they might have this hammer and only know it as its uses as a weapon or breaking open fruit or anything like that and one day the nail is suddenly invented and they're like oh my god and that could almost be where we're at with morality it could, it be, could be that, or I mean, we might have got the goal somewhere in the mix, but it could be that we just haven't actually got this this set of what the purpose of morality is yet. I know I have my opinion on it, but uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that my my opinion about morality being um, about flourishing and well-being and collaborative and cohesive societies is a subjective goal i'd say that if you look at all the theories of uh morality or at least pretty much all of them anyway either as a a first order goal or second third order effect of these these rules or or uh 
you know, standards of morality. It, it's all in there. And even though people are approaching it differently, there all seems to be this goal in there that not everyone is necessarily picking out and labeling. And it might not even be the exact goal of flourishing. That might not be exactly what it is, but to a degree, it's part of, I guess, maybe the essence of morality. Whether whether that's an ontological statement or a practical statement, I'm still undecided. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if we come... Sorry, uh, just quickly. If we come back to your hammer example, um, the hammer's purpose is to hammer in that, make it easier to hammer in nails and perform certain jobs. Now, if you were to break a window to break into somebody's house, um, there are people who say, well, no, now you've just given it a subjective purpose. You, you know, the truth maker for its purpose is you using it in a particular way. But if the hammer's purpose if it was designed to hammer in nails and make particular jobs easier, then it could be said that breaking a window to break into a car or to break into somebody's house is simply using the hammer wrong. Yeah, uh, and, and I'd agree with that. Um, I would almost describe it, though, as you said, as you're giving it a subjective purpose. Um, but, but giving something a subjective purpose doesn't necessarily mean that you're not using it wrong. Yeah, no, 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 I was just going to say, but actually yeah. the way you're phrasing it there does seem better. Yes, you can use a hammer to do those things, but that is the wrong way to use a hammer. So you've given it a subjective purpose, but actually that's an error. Yeah, you, you could look at it that way. And you, you could, I guess you could look at morality in the same way. It all depends on what morality actually is. Um, and of course, that's where the disagreement is. And it, I think that disagreement will be around for a very long time. Yeah, I think uh, we need a hell of a lot more knowledge to probably more than uh, we'll gain in our lifetimes to, to have someone actually discover enough about morality uh, and, and, and the world to actually say, aha, no, no, it's definitely this because da 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 da. Um, I feel quite justified yeah. in my belief that morality is about flourishing and so on. Um, that belief true? Yeah, exactly. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard many arguments that I've found convincing enough to tear me away from that. From that, I've heard some interesting ones that have piqued my interest, and I've thought about it, and I've wrestled with for a little while. But I've always come back to this sort of line of thinking. Um, and I'm not saying that the fact that I've come back to this line of thinking is me saying I'm definitely right. It's just saying that I'm at the moment. This is certain what I'm arguments by. more compelling. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, why why we're atheists? We're more convinced by atheist arguments than we are by theistic arguments. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're necessarily right. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. You know, we're not claiming knowledge on this. It's just. <laughs> where we where we sit because of the arguments that have convinced us and that's sort of where i sit on morality as well yeah um sorry i'm just going to move on to alan (laughs) 
whilst you're doing that, I'll just say hey to Chris and Cafe who've entered the chat. And Manny, great to have you here. Um, I hope you can uh, check out the, the the full stream next time as well uh, to see if there's anything else. Uh, thank you as always for showing up though. <laughs> okay. Twice in one Let's stream, Dave. <laughs> Um, this pushing back against your cultural norms and morals is how your subjective morals are different than the relative morals of your culture and how new consensus and morals adapt and change. Okay, this, the way he's using the words here, I feel like there is this necessary goal to include the idea that morality is subjective in such a way. The conclusion has already been reached. So... I feel Alan is trying to push these words in there wherever he can to prove his conclusion. But as we stated earlier, um, if morals are culturally relative, then your subjective morals are just wrong. If morals are subjective, then the cultural morals are just wrong because the truth maker either comes from the culture or it comes from the person's opinions. So you're saying so it the can't way be this, both. Yeah, because to argue that morals are culturally relative is to argue that the truth maker comes from the culture. So your opinion doesn't matter. If you argue that morals are subjective, then the truth maker is the individual's opinion. So therefore, they're independent things. And um, and how new consensus morals adapt and change? Well, no, because your opinion might mean bugger all to somebody in Glasgow. Yeah. So your opinion won't make any difference to that. It won't make any difference to the culture. It might make a difference to your best friends or your family, and it might influence them, but it's, it's not going to change the culture. And if morals are culturally relative, then you're all just wrong. It's, yeah. So I feel like, there is a particular conclusion here that Alan must reach, or he has, that he thinks must be right and must be the case, and is making these contradictory arguments in order to hold on to this line of reasoning that he has, regardless of whether the terms being used actually support the line of reasoning. It's almost like, sense? yeah, no, it does. I mean, if you're arguing that, that morality is both subjective and relative, um, as you mentioned, there's there's a contradiction there because you know you you've got two different truth makers, and the two different truth makers could be in conflict, and then well, which is true, and well, which therefore is true. it's almost like saying, well, actually, it's neither. It's just it's it's almost like <laughs> uh, an emotivist take on subjective yeah. and relative morality. That there isn't actually a truth maker whatsoever. There is just what culture feel is right and what people feel is right. Yeah, it, it breaks it down into sort of a non-cognitive approach where it just is this emotional response, or we're using the terms incorrectly by saying that there is some kind of truth, that we're making an error in the way that we're making these statements. So it can't be both, but it can be neither. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, and the next one is if morals are principles of proper behavior, and if by the principles of the time or culture it was considered proper, then it was is moral. The behavior comes. Oop, hang on. 
there's a blue arrow there. Coheres. The behavior coheres to the set of principles. Which I mean, okay. if you are a relativist and you say that, then then you are saying, you know, that that is at least being consistent with what a moral relativist would say, because yeah. if it was considered moral at the time, and as we mentioned earlier, moral relativism is true, then what was moral at the time is actually moral at the time, even if it's not anymore. So that's at least consistent with moral relativism. Yeah. Um, but it could be the case that, like I was saying earlier, there could be normative force and normative epistemology to the morality. So when we speak of proper behavior, we're not speaking descriptively, we're speaking reasonably. What what the ideal rational person might use practical reason to come to the conclusion is proper behavior. So it might be that the proper behavior being described here might not be the proper behavior that we mean when we speak of morality. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's actually put um, another comment in as well. Um, I know there's some in-between comments that we need to get to, and we will get to them. But um, uh, Chris says, uh, the collective opinion shapes the cultural morality. And, and uh, Alan says, I, I am saying that cultural relativism is the result of consensus in the individual subjective principles of proper. Um, where else does the cultural ethics spring up but by a consensus of uh, subjective conclusions. And as yes, but what you're, you're saying there is you're actually just saying it's relative. You're not saying it's subjective and relative. You're saying it's relative, which is influenced by the culture. You know, um, so perhaps in, in your line of thinking there, you, you're, you're, you're a moral relativist. That's just the position that you take. It's not actually that you're a, a subjectivist and a relativist at the same time. You're a relativist and you realise that there is a subjective consensus, perhaps, that influences the culture, which is why things change over time. And, I mean, that's fine. That's that's sort of how relativism would work, in, in my understanding. I, I, I get that. But I think... The, the error is your statement of saying it's both subjective and relative. Yeah. And again, I'll go back to the idea that morality isn't necessarily built from the bottom up. Sometimes it's built from the top down. Yep. When you're born into a particular culture, you learn the morals of that culture. Yep. Um, you might rebel against them at some point. Um, and a small group like the Quakers and people like that, changed the way people looked at slavery and but generally morality comes from the top down it's something we learn um so if culture if morals are culturally relative it's just something we pick up from our culture and we learn what is right and wrong from our culture our opinions generally don't matter like if um the individual thinks like What's the new community name for pedophiles? Matt? Mature, minor attracted peoples or something like that. They call themselves now. Oh, okay. It's a big thing on Twitter. I've not heard this, no. Yeah. Um, they're trying to influence society in such a way that pedophilia becomes normalized. Now, them believing that pedophilia is moral doesn't necessarily make it moral in a culture where... Um, morality see the culture the morality of that culture sees pedophilia as wrong 
and them believing it's wrong seems unlikely to influence that culture, especially one so, especially a feeling so well entrenched. And that's that's a sort of moral norm that expands beyond individual cultures as well. Um, like we often criticize the Afghanis for allowing child marriage. So it's something that we see as broaching culture. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that the individuals do influence the cultural norms, and they might be able to, but generally morality comes top down, especially in older cultures where, like we said earlier, the center of morality was the church. And if we think about Islam, the individual feelings of Muslims don't really matter to the moral norms of those cultures. What matters is the Quran and the masjids and, and madrasas and things like that. The morals are built top down based on the Quran. Yeah, and we, we can even say with the way morality is progressing within our with our own culture that, that science is influencing morality with like i mentioned earlier psychology and studies on things like abuse and beating children and all those sorts of things it's again it, it's almost coming top down then like oh here's all this information and it influences the culture and the culture that influences the people underneath it so even then it, it's coming down to us and it, it it's not someone suddenly goes oh well i think i don't like this thing so i'm gonna go look for why this might be wrong <laughs> um yeah. and, and in fact i think there are times then we might fight against our own gut instincts maybe it's because we've been indoctrinated into a certain line of thinking um or, or uh, just there's there's something that we don't like, we might find disgusting, but actually we realise there's nothing immoral about it, it's just something that we don't like. And we fight against this fact, we go, well, I don't like that, but that doesn't mean I have to do it. And actually there is nothing wrong with this particular thing, and actually it can be seen as quite a positive thing. So even my personal distaste for this it holds no weight because there is no nothing other than my personal distaste for this particular thing. Um, Chris has, has come yeah. back saying saying uh, that morality is relative since our morals differentiate between culture to culture. Um, I mean that that's taking a descriptive look at morality, and you can say that yes, the the way it might work within culture to culture, in because it differs, then yes. Okay, descriptively, you have a point, but normatively, that might not be the case. And I don't think it is. Exactly. And I mean, it could be the case that normatively cultures define what the truth maker, you know, it could be the case. And, but it seems to another argument that many people use when they say there is some sense of realism to the moral statements that we make is that we often discuss morality in terms that there is truth and more right and wrong. Um, so when we say, you think about the number of atheists who say slavery was always wrong, or um, it was always wrong for Muhammad to consummate his relationship with Asia at nine years old. Or marry her at six years old. Or marry her at six, yeah. And um, we often use moral language in the sort of sense that progress is being made, and there is some truth bearer to it. It's not just 
an emotive response. Yeah. So like Philip says here, the fact that cultures differ is not necessarily indicative of the truth maker being subjective. And he's right. I mean, it's possible that it is. It depends on what morality is. But like he says, it's, it's not necessarily indicative of that truth maker. Uh, there's a, a comment from Cafe. There's a word in there, at least one word that I think I'm going to pronounce incorrectly because I've not heard it. Um, <laughs> in Christianity, agape uh, permeates our reality. It is the source of an objective morality within th the theology, and the way to resonate with that morality is built into the system is mysticism. At least that's how I understand it. Mysticism being in forms such as Hey, he shank, he shankier. I can't. He shankism. <laughs> what? I can't pronounce that. Sorry. All Christian contemplation, Theoria. <laughs> I apologise for my poor pronunciation there. Uh, I'm just going to excuse myself because I'm dyslexic. So. <laughs> yeah. These are new words. I've heard. I've heard the term, and it's a, it's a, a form of Christian myth mysticism i think but i don't know enough about it to be able to make any kind of comment on it yeah fair. i've seen some youtube videos on it that i was going to watch but i haven't got around to so i might try and get around to watching them now yeah i mean cafe if you've got any more information on that i mean maybe not one for this particular stream um but feel free to drop something in in the comments if you like but if you've got any links or anything you'd like to discuss in the future uh we're happy to have a chat uh, about this sort of thing i i'm always willing to learn something even if you just come on stream with us and just talk at us for an hour uh, about this sort of thing and answer any questions that we might have i think it could be quite informative uh i find that i i tend to learn a bit better if the learning is interactive um so i'd, uh, I'd appreciate if you got the time ever yeah and i apologize for not knowing enough to be able to answer <laughs> um Chris says, the more I listen to morality, the less I believe it is as solid, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I think there are certain things in it that I definitely lean towards, but I always reach a point where I go, I can't really justify this part of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have enough information to justify this or this. I've got enough to get myself to this position, but it feels like I'm missing something from the foundation here. Uh, or I have a foundation and I have this bit here, but I'm missing something in the middle. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I agree with Chris. Anybody who thinks that they completely understand morality probably hasn't read enough material about it. Yeah. Or they have this very superficial understanding of it and have come to a conclusion that they probably can't justify properly. Yeah, and probably just go on asserting their conclusion as that's just what it is. They're, that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Many of them are just repeating what they've heard elsewhere from people that they think know what they're talking about, who are repeating it from people that they think know what they're talking about, et cetera. It's, um, there's a reason why we're still studying it to 3,000 years after the idea was kind of first talked about. <laughs> I mean, even then, is is that really when it was first talked about? I mean, that's possibly when we first have a record of it being talked about. We don't even know how far back it goes before that. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, vir even virtue ethics is still under construction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do think that 
I wish virtue ethics came to everybody naturally that we'd all been taught it from such a young age and it was just something as easy as the 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 automatic please and thank you and holding open doors and and things like that because I'd love to live in a world like that even yeah. if you did have a few people like you do now and the people that don't say please and the people that do chew with their mouths open the people that don't bother to hold open the door for other people if most people were acting in a virtuous way a few people that that were not uh, you'd still be living in a, a, a fantastic a much better yeah um so uh alan says morals do not always move towards what would be progress in terms of human flourishing the dark ages were called the dark ages for a reason or maybe that was because it led to the enlightenment but a, again you're making a descriptive statement um, and you're not thinking about the the net positive there. Just because bad stuff happened, just because people got things wrong, doesn't mean that there there isn't a right way to do it. Um, yeah, and not just that. The Dark Ages were called the Dark Ages because we don't have a lot of information about them, not because they were any particular way other than that. It's a misunderstanding of what the Dark Ages is describing. Chris says, today our moral progress towards fossil fuels are changing and about, let's say, talking about how we use vehicles in the 20 to 21st century is like our views on slavery uh, nowadays. I mean, yeah, you could be right. I, an another one that, that I think um, Stephen Law talks about is in the future, I think there'll be people that look back and go, can you believe they ever killed and ate animals you know doesn't matter whatever take you want to take on it he can see in the future that actually it's going to be something that's looked back on in the same way that we look back on slavery now you know most of us don't say slavery was right at the time most of us don't say it was perfectly acceptable to kill homosexuals or uh it's ever been right to treat women and minorities the way that they've been treated out the way yeah sure there might be some people who are true relativists that will say no it was moral at the time and you know fair enough at least you're consistent but <laughs> i don't think if you're right you, <laughs> yeah if you think about one of the common atheist arguments against the bible is that the Bible endorses slavery, so I don't think it's a good source to get your morals from. We Which have agree progressed. With. Yeah, we have progressed since then. If moral norms and things like that, and the culture define is the truth maker for the morality, or if morality is subjective, then anything that the culture or the individual thinks is a good source of morality is a good source of morality and there is no moral progress there is just moral change uh so one from alan civil resistance protest debate discussion are all attempts to coalesce individual subjective moral ideologies over and against the current culturally cultural culturally relative ideologies of morality See, again, like I said, he's constantly trying to force the word subjective and relative into every statement. And again, okay, so if the culturally relative ideologies of morality, if they're culturally relative, it means that the truth maker is the cultural ideologies. So there can be no truth to the subjective moral ideologies. And 
they can force the morality of the culture to change and it then becomes the truth maker but they're not subjective moralities at you know at the time they they don't become more culturally relative until it's changed the truth maker doesn't become the culture um until the culture is changed it's not that they're trying to coalesce to individual subjective moral moral ideologies just subjective ideologies they're yeah. trying to make them moral and if you were to argue that say it's like changing trying to change a movement, yeah yeah it's you know your idea that speed limits outside schools might be should be 30 miles an hour and you go about and you make that law change the truth maker is still the law not your individual ideology exactly. it's not illegal until it's in the law so it's not a subjective moral ideology in that sense it's a subjective ideology like you said but it's not immoral until the culture accepts it as immoral. So either there's an error in the phrasing that Alan is using, or he is actually speaking about it in an emotivist way. Yeah, it sounds kind of like a mix of a whole bunch of different ideas to me. But it sounds like there's a need to force the term subjective in places. And I find a lot of atheists do this. Once you mention that morality might not be subjective, they insert subjective into a statement as many times as possible as some kind of reinforcement that the idea must be right. You know, like um, repeat a statement often enough and it becomes the truth sort of thing. Um, yeah. But I would say it's a misunderstanding of what these terms mean. Um, you're using them in a different way to what moral theory generally uses in the way that moral theory generally uses them. Much in the same sort of sense that I got into that conversation with that guy. Um, I think I, I put a couple of the screenshots in um, The Pitfalls of New Atheism, um, um, to, which is a, an article I wrote about how being an atheist myself, I realised that there was a very, very different type of atheist out there. And um, I think we're having a conversation about well, trying to have a conversation about morality and philosophy and everything. And whatever I said, he just went, it's subjective, it's subjective, it's a spectrum, it's subjective. And that it was just all that he went on. And the, every answer to every question was like, okay, well, if it's subjective, what is your subjective response on this? Well, it's subjective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like a question I might ask here, is there an ideological reason why you would want to define morality as subjective is it going beyond just the need to describe something or are you arguing this for a specific purpose that might be something to think about yeah and we could we could sit here and hypothesize about the different purposes yeah, that's, as well that's it. quite quite easily um based on other interactions and I, we do know some people do have reasons why they would say that you know morality is subjective for example um, but I'm not. Don't want to put words into your uh, no, head exactly. and into your mouth. So have a think about that and think about why you want morality to be subjective or relative, or in your case, both at the same time. Which we've explained a couple of times doesn't actually make sense. Um, <laughs> but you're yeah. you're still inclined to use that same language, which is probably habitual more than anything. I get it. I mean, there, there there are certain times when you get in, 
you're you're so uh, set on talking about something a certain way that even when you're internally trying to change the way you talk about the certain thing, uh, you you will say the other thing anyway. I mean, maybe maybe that's where you're you're, you're coming from with that. Uh, you're you're still stuck in this um, this particular set of moral language, uh, even though that you've realised that actually it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the best thing I can suggest for this is that when we speak of morality in moral theory, the language that we use, and whether it's subjective, cultural, emotivist, you know, it all depends on whether something is cognitivist or, or non-cognitivist. And if it's cognitivist, then do these statements have truth aptness? And if they have truth aptness, then where does the truth come from? That's what is meant by subjective morality and objective morality or cultural relativism. That's what these terms mean, where the truth comes from. So if you're saying, and you're trying to use moral language, and you're saying that it's both subjective and cultural, then you have a conflict of truth makers there. It could just be that you're not using moral language in the same way that philosophy does. Yeah, I mean, I hope that helps you in that, some way, Alan. And then, uh, you know, if you do have more more questions on it, like feel free to to come back to us. I mean, yeah, you, you're in the uh, uh, debate group yeah. as well, so yeah. I'm sorry for not responding on Facebook, but I don't really use it very much these days, except to re to respond to my sister, my mum, you know, people like that. Um. One thing I will say, though, is if you are using these terms subjective and relative and culturally relative in ways that are the moral language of philosophy and ethics, then we're both having a different conversation. You're trying to argue something that I'm not argue against something that I'm not arguing for the sake of using particular terms. Does that make sense? Uh, it does to me. Um he says, uh, I find behavior, if, if I find behavior X is moral, it is moral to me. I give truth value. Okay, so that's you're saying it's subjectively true. Uh, if you find moral X is moral to you, you give a truth value. Yes, again, that's subjective morality. That's opinions. An individual's opinion makes it moral. Um, but then you're trying to take that up to a relative scale. And, and that's that's not what we're talking about there. The truth maker is in one or the other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, they, they come in conflict. Like Manny says, this is a difficult topic to understand for the average person. And I agree. It took me a long time to learn these things and change the way I thought. Because a long time ago, I thought similarly to how a lot of atheists and how Alan is thinking here. Where if it's from a mind, it's subjective. So therefore, all morals are subjective. It, I had to actually go out and learn the subject proper to be able to understand what is being spoken about here. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I, and do you know what? I don't think it's even just difficult uh, for the average person. <laughs> I think it's difficult for pretty much everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. That's why it's still being spoken about. If, if it wasn't a difficult topic, we'd have more definitive answers than we do now. Um, but I, I mean, Alan, you're still going on about, you know, a subjective moral to a cultural relative moral and so on and so forth. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that we really should 
carry on with with this right now live on the stream it goes back to the same thing because if it becomes true for the culture then it becomes untrue for the individual so therefore it's no longer a subjective morality yeah but if and it your, is your subjective, opinion makes no difference exactly so i mean yeah. it, it comes back to the language you're using um you might have a subjective ideology that could influence the culture that then influences the morality of the culture, perhaps. But it doesn't mean that it's true for the person um, <laughs> until it's true for the culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, let, let's move on a little bit from this one. And um, we can address it another time if you want, Alan. I mean, if you want like a, a private chat or something, it doesn't have to be a live stream. Um, just like a quick half hour or something to discuss how this is done. Um, well, now then... I'm in an office. I can have like private Discord chats if people want them. Oh, mm -hmm. private time with Dave. <laughs> Only Phil fans. <laughs> As in fans of Philip. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to pimp them out. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, cool. So, Dave, was there was there much more we needed to cover on moral realism? I mean, I know um, there's loads, but like... Yeah, but... yeah, there's loads. But that gives us sort of two of the most basic dimensions, whether there is semantic power to the truth of a statement when it comes to moral claims and whether they map to an ontological or a practical kind of objectivity. Hmm. But we could talk about metaphysics and normativity and all that kind of thing. We could go into that in another stream, though. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. It's good I enjoy this and, stuff, uh, considering we do streams do. on it every week. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, ethics is one of my favorite parts of morality because it is such a difficult conversation and there is just so much to it. It, it is kind of the heart of sort of philosophical discussion, I guess. It's trying to come to a truth based on conceptual ideas that might not necessarily map to physical things. Yeah. And it, it's, it gives us better understanding of how we ought to be, how we should be, you know, things like that. For me, that's kind of a big part of philosophy, to, how to guide us better in our lives and how to live better lives. And, and what do you think of those people that say philosophy is uh, subjective? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot politer than I thought you were oh, going to no, say. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That, that wasn't loud enough. <laughs> um, Chris says, where's the beer? No stream, no beer. Uh, no, um, I am uh, back on my health kick after um, I put on baby weight with when the wife was pregnant with Ivy, but unlike her, when the baby popped out, I didn't lose the weight that quickly and I didn't actually lose it. And then um, for the last five weeks before sort of moving, I didn't do any exercise at all because there was no room in the house. There were just boxes everywhere. So I've given myself uh, a rule of um, no, no beer unless it's someone's birthday. And I know it's always someone's birthday. I could play the rules, right? I, I can work my way around these rules, but I um I want to get myself back down to a healthy weight. So I've uh, put myself on a little exercise regime and um uh, one that I've crafted myself, one that I know works and I'm eating it more, uh, eating more healthily, sorting out my portion sizes and basically 
this man will be Hram again. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry to Sorry. bother you, but you did ask. <laughs> and if you want to start reading on morality, here's a couple of good books. Ethics Inventing Right and Wrong by J.L. Mackey. And there's one more that I can't quite see. Two seconds. There's another one I'd suggest. Uh, the Ethics Toolkit. Um, and Being Good by Blackburn. Simon Blackburn. <laughs> Look at that! <laughs> yeah, the uh, Ethics Toolkit is excellent. I think that's Julian Bikini. I can't remember who it is. I just remember it's I blue. I think so. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. I, I like that I actually called that one there. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who recommended that being good to you. Who um, was it again? Some wanker. Some absolute wanker. Yeah, some complete tosser. <laughs> uh, brilliant. <laughs> Chris, if if you want to uh do my plan with me, um I can I can send it over to you. Uh, send me a message on Instagram or something and uh, I'll have a chat with you off there. <laughs> awesome. So is there any uh, final questions from anyone out there or any final statements that you have, Dave? Uh, no, just to agree with Philip that Mackie is the error theorist and it's a really interesting book and a really interesting way to look at morality, even if I might not completely agree with it. So you say might not completely agree with it. So you're saying you partially agree with it? I think it's an interesting way to look at morality and that there is a possibility that it could be correct. Right. But you don't think it's correct? No. Okay. Interesting. And probability-wise, where would you put that? I'm not sure I could put a probability on it. Okay. Um, because It's just the argument that when we make a moral statement, we're not actually making a proposition, even though it sounds like a proposition. Yeah, yeah. So it could be the case that we are using morality wrong and that when we say that stealing is bad, we're just saying, well, I don't like stealing or, you know, some, it could be some kind of a motivist response or anything like that. But the arguments that I've read make me lean towards a more objective view of morality. So actually, that that is something that we, we didn't actually discuss in many of our streams. I think we did cover it in um, some of our podcasts. But we've we've never actually got your opinion of morality on on camera. I've spoken about mine at, at length in articles and everything, you know. And I sort of know where you sit. But why don't you tell us? I lean towards morality being objective in that it might not map to certain ontological features of the universe, and but there are moral properties that are higher that come from reason and being creatures of reason and living in a society and um, being in close contact with other agents and treating them and those agents have the ability to feel pain, suffering. And I think we have certain duties and obligations that come about because we are reasonable people and we live in societies and we rely on these other people. And, but I mostly lean towards something called value pluralism, where, you know, moral statements aren't simple. Stealing is wrong. And there are particulars to that statement as well. So there's a kind of moral particularism in there. I have a very overly bloated and overly complicated idea of morality, but I do think it's objective in that, you know, we have practical 
practical reasons for having morality be a certain way and we can make objective judgments according to those practical reasons. So basically, in your mind, Chidi's book was small. Yeah. <laughs> Chidi's book was about the right size if you want to try and understand morality. <laughs> yes, there's a reason Sam Harris isn't in the list of books, Manny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like Philip says, it's a grave omission. Sam Harris is such a great thinker. <laughs> I'll just go now. In fact, I don't think I've actually got any of his books, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I, I've listened to a couple of debates. And even when he's taking a position I agree with, I find that I'm disagreeing with him. <laughs> the reasons for that position, yeah. <laughs> um, Chris says... Uh, just on my way to buying thinking fast and slow don't recommend me any more books i need to buy that one as well actually i uh, you recommended that to me about two years ago now dave and i still haven't got around to to buying it i keep thinking too fast and not slow enough to remember <laughs> <laughs> i think to be honest it's been one of the most influential books i've ever read on how i think about things and my understanding of how we think about things well in that case i definitely fact, need to read it in fact everyone needs to read it Daniel Kahneman? Daniel Kahneman, yeah. In fact, it's so influential and such a good book that it was re recommended to be read in my second year psychology, my second year philosophy, and the third year philosophy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I've read it about four times. Nice. Okay, I definitely have to get on that once I finish the books that I'm reading. Uh, and hopefully once everything is sorted in the house i'll actually have time to sit down and read again i've uh, missed it <laughs> the last year or so where i've not had the time to read um have you seen his debate as in sam harris's debate with william lane craig no uh, i heard it was really bad so i avoided it i can imagine it was i think ones i've watched well listened to have been with sean carroll in general He's fantastic, yeah. I watched that one. He kind of wiped the floor with Craig. But from what I understand, Craig wiped the floor with Harris. At least if you're going to make an honest assessment of this and not let tribalism get in the way of who you judge to be the winner. Yeah. But then, I mean, if it's all subjective, then... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, if there's no more questions... Um then i think that we've we can call it a wrap for tonight um you've definitely given me something more to to think about there dave as well um you bastard <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm here for thank you to thank you listening to me babble and everybody in the chat who listened to me babble yes especially those of you that took the time to uh come along and say hello and interact with us um any yeah. of you that are watching the rerun that post any comments or you know share this anywhere on on social media or whatever it's incredibly appreciated thank you all so much uh but that's it for tonight you've been watching the fresh air sci-fi show we've been discussing uh moral realism i almost forgot for a second there and uh i'm joe <laughs> And I'm Chidi Anagonye. <laughs> Have a good night, all. Good night, all.